If you guys can grab a seat, that'd be great. Hey, I wanted to let everyone know we have about uh, five weeks left till Easter. Easter is the most attended event and the most attended service for us of the year. So I want to encourage you guys, think ahead and, and think, who, who can I invite? Who can I invite? Because we want all of our friends to hear about the resurrection of Jesus. We think we will probably be doing baptisms as well on that day, which is also a cool thing. So if you've become a Christian and you're thinking about being baptized, please let us know. We would love to baptize you on that day. So we are in week five of our series called Creed, and we're talking about what Christians believe, and today we're going to be talking about gender, which is one of the most difficult talks that we could give, and that is what we're going to be doing today. So I need to share with you my emotions here before we actually jump into the content. I'm extremely excited about this talk. I feel like so much redemption can come into our lives as a result of what scripture teaches about, about gender, and I hope that you experience that today. However, this also feels very weighty to me. This is such a controversial topic in our culture, and so many of us in this room have been wounded We've been wounded in the area of gender. And so there is a weight to this top topic that I feel. First of all, toward you women, I want to say I'm really sorry that you've had to fight for millennia, literally millennia, for equal rights. You've been objectified. You've been told by some that you are inferior Culture has been very slow to pick up on what scripture teaches, and I'm really sorry about that. For you men, I'm, I'm sorry for us too. It's so confusing today. What does it mean to be a man? Is masculinity a good thing or a bad thing? It's a very confusing topic, and many of us did not have a good role model in our upbringing of what godly masculinity actually is all about. My hope is that as a church, H2O, that we could arrive at a place where we look at gender and we feel honor and we feel gratitude toward one another and nothing less. And that is my hope on this topic. Today, I'm going to be speaking on a biblical perspective on gender. I did not say the biblical perspective. There are many different perspectives, and I'm going to be sharing with you mine. So, this, seeing how this is a controversial topic, can I pray for you guys and for me this morning? God, thank you for gender and the beauty of it. I thank you that you're the author of it, that you designed it. And I confess from my heart, it is good. I'm in agreement. It is good. But I pray that I would speak truth in a way that is clear. And I pray redemption for wounds that we've received, for places in our heart that are damaged. I pray that somehow you would give me grace to speak on this difficult topic in a way that's truthful and loving. I look to you now this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Um, I'm not wearing green, by the way, and I do not want to be pinched, just to clarify <laughs> as we talk. All right, so let's talk about gender here this morning. Uh, with me and my wife, uh, we, we were brought up in such different homes, and, and our relationship was just destined for struggle. And the, the reason I say that, in my home, my dad was a very good man, and yet he did not model for me an engagement in marriage and an engagement with his children. He was a distracted man busy at work, and so in that way, he was not able to model for me what masculinity is supposed to call out of a man. And Jana, in her, in a different way, was wounded in her upbringing. And so marriage has been a difficult thing for us as we work out, what does it really mean to be a man that's fully alive? What does it mean to be a woman that is fully alive? So this is the first thing I want you to hear this morning. Our understanding of gender. Our understanding of gender is profoundly shaped in our upbringing. You have been affected by your mom, you have been affected by your dad in ways that you may not even realize here this morning. One of the things we offer here at H2O is courageous immense ministry and when I was first exposed to this at age 45 I realized wow by a bi biblical definition of manhood I'm not a man. And so actually, as I began to dig into what scripture says about gender, I have felt a far greater engagement in marriage and with my children and with my world. And so gender has actually been very redemptive in my own life. Here as we begin, I want you to understand that God is for you. God is for you no matter where you're at on this topic you may not agree with me on this topic, and God is still for you. He's with us no matter where we are at. So, what's the Bible teach? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man, the Hebrew word there is Adam. So we're Adam, God is name. So let us make man in our image is genderless. Let us make man is both male and female. We are all Adam. We are all humanity. Let us make humanity Adam in our, in our image. Our image, plural, the Trinity, saying let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Let them have dominion. It does not say, let man have dominion. It says, let man and woman together have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And that brings us to our first point. God created man and woman as co-rulers of the creation. God created this whole universe and it needed to be managed. And God looked at man and woman together, hand in hand as equals, before sin had entered the world and said, you guys together, in partnership, in your relationship, trusting one another, not competing with one another, 
both of you different, together rule over the creation that I have created. And I want you to notice that when God says that he made humanity in his image, well, let's go on to verse 27. Look at verse 27 with me. So God created man in his own image. The, the Hebrew word there for image is salam, and it's a statue. So G.K. Chesterton said that human beings, when we were created, we were like walking, talking statues of God. Walking, talking statues of God. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male, and the Hebrew word here is zakar. You have to put that little in there. Can everyone practice that? Got it. Zakar, male. And female, which is nekeva. Nekeva. He created them. So God created man and woman. He created masculinity and femininity together to rule over the creation. And that brings me to the second point that I want us to get here. God created gender, and it's good. God created gender, and it's good. It's as if God took parts of himself, and he said, I'm going to put part of myself into the male. And he took part of himself, and he said, I'm going to put this into the female. And so there are moments in life, if we understand gender, when we should look at, for me as a man, where I look at my wife created in the image of God, and as I watch her engage in the world, the thought that does and should run through my head is, at times, it's like, you are godlike. That's the point of what is being expressed here in Scripture. And I just want to say this stands in stark contrast to the perspective on gender that is seen in our world today. Either one gender is put down and the other is elevated. They're fighting against one another instead of honoring one another. For example, Andrea Dworkin says this, man and woman are fictions caricatures, cultural constructs, demeaning to the female, dead-ended for male and female both. So there's a new understanding of gender today that has not been around for very long at all, but the times they are changing. And so the new perspective on gender is first that biological sex has no intrinsic meaning. We're born with a certain anatomy, and that anatomy does not determine what we really are. Our anatomy does not determine what we are. We are invited to look inside of ourselves and to look at our feelings and determine what we are about how we feel about ourselves. That is part of the new definition of gender. This leads to the second thing, is that our bodies are accidental, accidental, and therefore they're incidental. They're unimportant. 
Your body, then, is not a calling from God. It's not a gift from God. It's more like a blank canvas that we are invited to paint upon. Gender is fluid and can be changed. And the third thing is that gender, then, is a social construction. In other words, it's nurture and not nature that causes masculinity or femininity. And personally, I just think we're missing out. I think the new definition of gender misses out on beautiful moments when we can look at one another, like I said. Have you ever seen, and I want to give you a, a personal example from, from what I have observed with, with Jana. Uh, we've been together now for 30 years, and I've seen this God-likeness come out of her. When our kids are hurting, uh, I am tempted to think very male thoughts, like, stop crying. And I see my wife move in with such a tenderness toward our children. And again, for me, it's like that is so godlike and so foreign to me. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think our society's new definition of culture is, is missing out on some of the beauty of gender. To give you an illustration, it's as if Jesus is there in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus has created two, two statues, two marble slabs. And you can tell that they're different. And he's chiseling away at them. And you come up and you say, what are you doing? And he said, I'm making statues of God. And as he continues to chisel and you watch him work, you realize that one is male and one is female, and he breathes on them, and they begin to walk and talk and relate to each other and to their world in different ways, but in a beautiful way. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. We are like statues. Thirdly, gender. Gender is wiring that invites us to uniquely show off God to show off God as man and as woman. It's not a box. It's not meant to be a box to constrain or force you. It is not meant to shame you. God does not want anyone walking out of here ashamed of who they are. Gender is more like a spectrum. God is very creative. There is room in masculinity for a man to be more emotional and sensitive. There is room on the female specter, spectrum of gender for a woman to be strong and to have leadership strengths and to be task-oriented. There is room. God did not intend to constrain us it is an invitation for us to show off God through our wiring. Like I said, one of the things that I love about my wife is her, her sensitive nature. I also love her, her 
I don't know how to put it, her invitation into relationship, her invitation to go deep, to her longing for soul connection, which for me as a man is foreign to the way I am wired, but it's very attractive to me, and I love that about her. One of the things I love about myself as a man is being able to just naturally look at a very dark, difficult situation and just move into it with courage and strength. I'm going to move into the brokenness of this world. Can I be relational? Yes. Can I have feelings? Yes. Can she move into the world courageously? Yes. Heck yeah. Even. It's not a personality type. It's not meant to constrain us. So I want to give a definition, but before I do so, I want to say that this is probably ignorant, is probably misguided. It's my best stab at saying how do we think men and women are different? So bear with me, forgive me, correct my definition, change it. I'm simply trying to make the point that I think God did create us differently. Femininity is God-giving wiring that enables a woman to relate to her world in a way that reveals God by openness and vulnerability, inviting and nurturing relationship and soul exploration rather than being self-protective, controlling, or demanding. That's my understanding. Masculinity is God-given wiring that enables a man to relate to his world in a way that reveals God, taking responsibility, leading courageously, and sacrificially serving, rather than being passive or serving himself. Now, I don't want to spend this whole teaching giving disclaimers, but can a woman lead? Yeah. Can a man feel? Yes. Again, we speak of spectrum. There is a lot of science behind this gender, uh, gender stuff, and I just want to breeze through this just so that we understand that, again, like I shared weeks ago, that there's special revelation, that which God has revealed through the scripture, and there's general revelation, that which is found in the world. And so we're going to look at that which is found in the world, that is science, the science behind gender. Studies have shown that men predominantly use their left hemisphere and that women use their entire brain and so women are the only ones in their right minds. Yes, you're to hear. Studies have shown that men use seven times as much gray matter than women and women use ten times as much white matter than men. And what that means, the bottom line of all of that, is men can end up being very task-oriented and tunnel-visioned. And women, as adults, are much better at multitasking. And it's because of the way God has wired the brain. The male brain is slightly geared, uh, more so than the female, toward math. The woman's brain is slightly geared more toward language which we all tend to observe. Women tend to be more emotional. Why is that? Well, it's because of their hippocampus and their limbic system. It's the way they're designed. Chemicals. We all have the same chemicals in our brain. 
Serotonin is that which helps a person to sit still for a long period of time. That's stronger in whom? It's stronger in women. That's why a lot of boys struggle in the way schools are set up. Testosterone, our sex and aggression chemical, is greater in whom? Men. Oxytocin, which is a bonding, causes bonding in relationship, is stronger in whom? Women. You notice I didn't mention estrogen mainly because my chemicals tend to be a little high there and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Women often have a larger uh, memory center in their brain. We can be talking about one of my buddies that I haven't seen in forever and my wife will list off his children. I didn't even know he had children. It's my friend. There is a difference in our brains. Blood flow to the brain is greater for whom? Oh, we all know it's women. There's more blood flow to the brain. I'm not making this stuff up. And that allows a woman to ruminate on emotional experiences. When a man's brain is oriented in such a way that when an emotional experience comes on, he can close the door and move on, which makes us men very frustrating sometimes in a conversation with our wives sitting on the couch, but it's really helpful in war. And it's because of the design of the brain. All right, how God's design, how God's design became World War G, World War Gender. If you go back to the idea of the statues, God created the two statues, male and female. We follow the female statue through history now. She's a walking, talking statue of God. But she begins to get objectified. And then men look at her nature and they begin to dominate woman. And some people actually go so far as to say that man is created in the image of God and that woman is not. And so women have had to fight for equal rights and they're still fighting, as we all know, up to this day. But again, our culture has changed and recently masculinity, as I alluded to earlier, is beginning to be regarded as something negative and dangerous. As I think, as I, as I follow the woman statue through history, and we see misogyny, and we see objectification, and we see things said about inferiority, and I just want to say this clear, God is not pleased. God is not pleased with someone dishonoring the statue that he has created in his own image. In ancient cultures, the wife was often the property of her husband. Some of our greatest philosophers have said some of the most evil things about women, and you would be surprised to know. Aristotle said that a woman was somewhere between a free man and a slave, obviously an expression of inferiority. Plato said that if a man was a coward during his life, he was reincarnated as a woman. And you hear these things and it's like, wow, it's ugly. But there's been a shift. 
and some of that shift is very negative toward masculinity. Christina Hoff Summers, in her book called The War Against Boys, said, I'm concerned that male-averse attitudes are widespread in the United States and that masculinity is becoming politically incorrect. I read one article that described males, she, she described it as the Germans of gender. The Germans of gender. Feminist Camille Paglia said the way we're treating men today is how a culture commits suicide. And so again, I see this war that is happening because it's been a struggle for humanity to look at one another and recognize gender as a good thing. So let's go back to Genesis again. Out of verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, I just want to say that this is from 3,400 years ago. And some of us, we have such a strong response to words because words have meaning. And they're very powerful in our lives. And some of you women have had, you've really been hurt by this verse. You've really been hurt by a distortion. Because what do you think when you hear the word helper? I mean, a lot of us think, oh, a helper. Here's my little helper. And that's not what the word means. It's a very powerful word, and I hope to redeem that for those of you that are not familiar with this. A helper fit for him out of Hebrew is the word ezer konegdo. Ezer is a powerful word. It's a military word. It's like a divine helper coming in to rescue someone that needs to be rescued, and it is a word used of God. It is a word used from God. When I pray and I say, thank you, Lord, that you're my helper, I'm not putting him down. I'm saying I need help, and you are strong and powerful, and you are on my side. You're my helper. So men, let us never let that phrase be twisted in our mind toward women. It is a powerful word. And connecto, which means the helper suitable, means the perfect complement. Like, I'm needy. I need help. I need someone to line up next to me. What's that movie? Uh, it's the Tom Cruise movie. You complete me. I know. I should have shown that with the, the video. Jerry Maguire. So I like to refer to this Ezra Konegdo as a, a princess warrior. I think it's, it's a perfect compliment, and it is a strong term. Verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father. We had to skip a lot, by the way, just so you know. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You know, previously, up until this past week, I've always read this verse as referring to only sexual intimacy in marriage, that they were unashamed, that sex was not a dirty thing, it was a good thing created by God, and I don't think that's what it's saying. I think the fullness of what it's saying is that man and woman were there, and the together and the woman felt good about being a woman and the man felt good about being a man and the woman felt good about the man being a man and the man felt good about the woman being a woman before sin entered the world there was no competition and no distrust they were naked and unashamed it was a beautiful thing created by God gender is good Let's go a little deeper here, and I'm going to have to continue this next week, but I want to just give you an introductory understanding of two terms. 
the egalitarian view. When we look at scripture about how men and women relate and gender, there's two main perspectives, and both are drawn from the Bible. The egalitarian view is that creation establishes an equality between man and woman, but in Christ there are no longer any gender distinctions. And so there is not a unique calling for man and a unique calling for women. And so some New Testament verses that say some things about women and call some things out of dudes, that that basically is not for today. That's the egalitarian view. And again, I hope I didn't come across disrespectful of that view. That's not my view, but it is a biblically-based view. They're making an argument from the scripture, which I hope to unpack a little more next week. The complementarian view is that God created man and woman as equals. They were meant to be in partnership with one another, but there are male and female distinctions, and so there is a unique calling on man. There is a unique calling on women, and they're meant to be in harmony together. And the New Testament verses that are difficult and sticky, which we will get to eventually, are, are not obsolete and outdated. But really, as I've thought about this, I think one of the hang-ups people have when they think about this has to do with what we think leadership is. Often, we think leadership is about power and prestige. And then Jesus comes along, and he takes our worldly, ungodly, carnal understanding of leadership, and he flips it on its head. As if to say, you guys don't know anything about what leadership is. So let's look at what Jesus said in Luke 22. A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority... Those in authority over them are called benefactors. You see inequality here. You see power over. You see prestige. And then Jesus says in verse 26, but not so with you. Not so, don't ever think this way again. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. And I just want to say this as clearly as I can. You may not agree with me, on the complementarian view, and you don't have to. It is not central to our salvation. But what I love about the complementarian view is it calls men out to lead. It basically tells men, turn your heart toward your home. You're not just to be about your business. You're called to be the leader in your marriage and to engage with your children. You're called to show up and make a difference in this world. And I only testify that that's had a really good effect on me. I understand that when we talk about leadership that some of us are going to cringe. And I hope we can walk out of that here over the coming weeks. But at the heart of masculinity is a benevolent desire to lead and take responsibility and sacrifice. And if you understand leadership in any other way, you've absolutely missed the boat. 
want to invite the worship team up here, and I want to close by, let's just take a look at Jesus for a minute. What do we see in Jesus? He invited women to be his disciples. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you're just thinking of the 12 disciples who were all men. The scriptures are very clear that he had many women followers. Jesus protected women. Jesus honored women publicly. Jesus released the voice of women. Jesus confided in women. Jesus was financially funded by women. Jesus arose from the dead and first appeared to a woman. Jesus learned from women. He respected women. He spoke of women as examples to follow. He did not objectify them. He did not put them down. He did not make them feel that in the kingdom of God, they were anything less than a walking, talking statue of the living God. Gender is a good thing. Can we stand as we move into worship? God, we thank you uh, for this topic. We confess it's real confusing and hard. We just want to pause before you and think about ourselves for a minute, whether we're male or female, and just and just give you thanks. Thank you for making me who I am. Now we turn our hearts to you, O oh God. We want to draw near to you and worship you for being the great God that you are. And we thank you in Jesus' name.